Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And we are starting in on our combined 1963 and 1964 season. Our first title is 1963 Newbery Honor winner, Thistle in Time, Tales and Legends of Scotland by Sorsen Nicolaitis. Uh, please excuse any mispronunciations because there are startlingly few guides to how to pronounce these names online. But at the same time, she's not actually Scottish, so I don't feel as bad as I would. <laughs> I we'll talk um, we'll about talk, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get into that more later. And today we're drinking the Strawberry Scotch Cocktail, which we'll talk about a little bit later. This is from the Horn Book. This was from the year that it was published, which was 1962. Thistle in Time um, by Sorcha Nicolotis. And it was illustrated by Eveline Ness. It was published by Holt. The 10 flavorful stories not told in other Scottish collections for children include legends of monks and supernatural beings, a few true folk or cottage tales, again with some Sanaki stories, and the Segalation, or tales invented for special celebration by a story maker and teller. Both storytellers and children will want to meet these Scottish fairies, witches, the mermaid, wizard, and demon, altogether an outstanding and beautifully produced collection. I would just like to interrupt to say that if you are listening and you know how to pronounce these words, will you please let us know? Because we would love to like talk to you on the phone and record it so that we can play it for people so they know exactly how it's supposed to be said. We've listened to several robots tell us <laughs> exactly how these, um, Which how these has... words are pronounced, but as you can hear, uh, failing woefully, a little bit. Woefully insufficient. And my Scottish uh, ancestors are rolling around in their graves, probably trying to shoot me with some kind of arrow from... The motherland. So let's talk about the author's background. Yes. So this author, when you're reading the book, seems super authentic, but she was actually not Scottish at all. Um, she was born Leclerc Louise Gowans. Uh, in 1898. I think the name that she went by with her other children's books was Leclerc Gowns Elger because of her second husband, but um, yeah, not at all Scottish. Her dad and her sister were both freelance writers, and it was just like a family hobby to collect Scottish folktales, which is pretty cool. But when she kind of got to the end of her regular career as a librarian, she took a pseudonym and started collecting these authentic Scottish folktales. One thing that I think is really cool is that she collected them just as a personal hobby, like forever, and just started putting them out when she was in her 60s and won all these amazing awards. So like she had a whole career that was really great, but what she really got famous for was the thing that she was passionate about, which is wonderful. I know. I mean, she sounds like a really grounded person, and this was just like a hobby that turned into something bigger, and it sounds amazing. But I also like to think of her as like being a librarian in the 50s in a small town, just like cooking up these tales in the back, you know, when like <laughs> when she's on break or, you know, writing in like a little notebooks and, you know, hanging out in her yard and thinking about fairies. And that's something that is very enchanting to me. I have no idea if that's really what happened. <laughs> well, what I read um, was kind of heavy on her family life and light on everything else. But it sounds to me like what she did is actually attend like all of these Scottish get togethers, the I, I'm totally mispronouncing this, but Kaylee's, the gatherings where they would tell the stories out loud. Um, so I have no idea if she traveled for that or not, but she must have. 
because apparently they are all authentic Scottish stories that are not put together in most collections because they're usually told told verbally. Yeah, that's um, when I when I was reading the review, there was a mention of cottage tales, mm-hmm. and um, that's. That's the tradition of cottage tales. They're just stories that are told. They're not written down. And mm-hmm. so this was something that was out of the ordinary um, for these tales. And then, of course, she shaped them into um, something to be put in a book. Mm-hmm. And she's also uh, actually a really renowned children's author aside from these. Like, she's won a Caldecott and a Caldecott honor. She won the 1966 Caldecott for a book called Always Room for One More, which is also Scottish-themed. And she won an honor after that. Thistle in Time is actually a companion to her 1960 book. It was published in 1960, um, called Heather and Broom, Tales of the Scottish Highlands. Yes. And then if you look at, she just kept going afterward too. She kept writing until she died. The one that she won the Caldecott honor for was called All in the Morning Early. And it was actually illustrated by the same person that illustrated this book, Thistle in Time. I would be curious to see those illustrations because these illustrations are not great. I guess it depends. Like, I love the cover illustration. I don't love some of the interior ones. Well, I really don't like um, the... We can't figure out if they're woodcuts or linoleum cuts or <laughs> um, what they are, but there's a lot of, like, just extra foofum around the uh, around a lot of the art. A part of one of my hobbies involves carving stamps, like hand-carving stamps. And so this is when you don't clean the stamp. This is the kind of stuff you get in like in the sides. And so I've always drawn to that. Um, and I just like a clean carve. I thought they were nice looking, but some of them were just really, really rough. Particularly that last little mermaid in the <laughs> in the story, um, the Fisher Lad and the Mermaid's Ring. So she's shirtless the way mermaids are, but her hair is very unfortunate, and her fish part (laughs) fish part well it doesn't look it doesn't look like it's really made to attach to her body it looks like a whale is eating a naked lady with bad hair right to be fair if mermaids were real i feel like the fish part would have to be pretty disproportionate to get the rest of that body through the water yes but i feel like i feel like if mermaids were real they'd be very thick-waisted like there's no way that they could use their tail to propel through the water if they were really, really thin-waisted like that. What if it's like an angler fish and the mermaid part is just decorative? Oh, that's horrifying. <laughs> no, like, it's just yeah. to scare off predators? It's just a big, scary fish with, like, some attractive dangly part to entice oh the sailors in. That's Oh, wow. It's <laughs> blowing my mind. But the face, too. That's the kind of face that happens when you have accidentally carved off the features that you had drawn on to your carving material. And then afterwards, once you stamp the stamp, you draw in a weird little face. Maybe that mermaid happens to be on some kind of psychedelic kelp. You don't know. No, this is like her (laughs) face was shaved off and then someone just put a smiley face sticker on her head (laughs) under her horrible hair. Okay, not the best illustration. I still kind of like it. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, it is very homemade feeling. Yeah. Like I love, I like the look of the cover with the castle and the bunny and the actual thistle. Like I like that. That's really, really pretty actually. And the color choice and everything, those are really pretty, but the inside is just, they seem like drafts or like just sketches or like first attempts at carving. Or maybe she's just not that good at people because the people are scary. Some of them are. So these stories are very focused on women. 
um, whether they're the hero, whether they're the villain. Um, or collateral damage. Yeah. And so it, there's a mixed bag as far as how women are portrayed in this. Um, I love some of the portrayals of the resourcefulness, of the, um, the quick thinking, the... Um, bravery but then there's things like the story the bride who out talked the water kelpie and i felt like it was just basically about like this woman was too quiet and then she was wouldn't shut up and her husband was discontent with both and both were the result of an encounter with a kelpie in a well but i was just like i thought that the husband was super shitty i was like why why are you complaining like what's wrong with you yeah it and it was oh it's just frustrating that his like qualification for a good wife was somebody who like doesn't talk back. Yeah. So she would talk enough to like con- like support him and be comforting to him, but not too much. She yeah. can't talk too much. Don't be too chatty. Yeah. Um so while I liked that there was a Kelpie, um and I liked that little bit of lore, you know, kind of I liked ex- that little exploration of that part of uh the folklore. I really did not care for that story. I don't like the content of the story necessarily. I really like the writing of it. Yeah, I like the whole the writing of the whole book. It's just very engaging. It's very interesting. Yeah, and I liked the language in it. So like, it's kind of hard for me to talk about like disliking any of the stories because even though I'm like that dude is shitty, like <laughs> I still like the story to read. You yeah. know. I think probably my least favorite to read would be the one about the changeling, the changeling and the fun young mother. And that's only because the idea of anybody stealing a baby at this point in my life is just difficult to read. (laughs) I feel like it had really good visuals. And if, you know, if I could divorce myself from the feeling or the idea of how I would feel in that situation, Mm -hmm. like it's a pretty cool story. I don't think it's the best treatment of that story though. Right. Um, that I've read. So my favorite version of a changeling story is actually The More Child by Eloise McGraw, which was an honor book in 1997. Which we will definitely be talking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I appreciate that idea because it is really horrifying. And I thought that the visuals, um, particularly the rough artwork in that one kind of worked because the changeling was horrifying looking. Um, so, so that was one po- point where I thought the artwork really did work. It d- worked in a lot of other places too, but... Um, it did seem fitting. Yeah. I guess another thing I didn't like, just from a more modern perspective, like I know this was written in the early 60s, but and it may be, and I'm sure it is, like authentic to this storytelling tradition, but like the moral of the story seems to be don't compliment your child. <laughs> yeah. And it just feels not great as just a general piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I know this, it, that's, this story is more of an exploration of superstitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. Um, that was the strange thing is I didn't feel like any of these had morals exactly like, Oh, you need to learn this from it. That was from my perspective. Like it, they just felt like, like glimpses into a distant past but they didn't feel preachy to me, which I thought was interesting. You're right. They didn't. In in the story, the the person who helps the mom does say, just remember for the future, don't praise your own. And I think it's about being proud, just in general. 
would just like don't actually praise them out loud. Yeah. Because the fairies might hear you and steal them away. But like it just still seems kind of awful to like have the advice for anybody that like, oh yeah, never say anything nice about your own kid. Also awful is um the woman in St. Cuddy and the Grey Geese. Oh. Um, but I love that story. She's such a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I um she actually doesn't even have a name. Or she's just called the old wife. So there are things like that too. Um, where women don't get their own names. They're just called kind of like a title. Um, So she's the old wife. She's this woman who um, is hoarding her riches. She tells her her poor relatives that she's saving or that she's going to give her excess wealth and um, geese and livestock to the poor in her village. And then when people from the village come to to collect alms or to collect extra animals or whatever, um, she tells them that she's saving all her stuff for her family. And so St. Cuddy ends up calling her on this and, um, she basically calls her on her bullshit and she flies into a rage and he turns her and her geese into stones. At the same time, that story made me kind of mad also from a slightly more modern perspective. I'm like, who is this dude who thinks he can just like take her stuff? Mm-hmm. Like how come everybody feels like they're entitled to her things? Like yeah. I would be mad and just make up excuses too. Well, it's it's like for me, it's both things, right? Like I completely <laughs> see the modern take on it at the same time. Like there's something so, um, so creepy and so dark about the fact that you someone is selfish and then they get turned into stone oh yeah and um that's very appealing to me (laughs) one of the ones that i particularly liked is the beekeeper and the bewitched hair Um, oh yeah yeah and i think maybe i'm biased because i am a beekeeper also but um i just i think that the visuals again in that one are great um and the story is a, a version of Tamlin that I have never heard before. Like I love, I love the the, the folktale of Tamlin, and I love like all the different retellings of it I've ever heard. But I've never ever heard this version. I actually didn't know that it was a version of Tamlin. Well, I assumed because um, so the bewitched hair. Well, I'm, I'm not familiar with Tamlin. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this story about. Um, it's actually a ballad, a Scotch ballad, and um, there's this very handsome man named Tamlin. And he gets kidnapped by the Queen of Fairy, and his girlfriend, lover, what have you, wants to get him back. And the only way to do it is to wait until they're going by the whole like train of, of fairy people on horses, grab him off the horse, and hang on to him while he changes into different things. And if you can hang on the whole time, then he'll change back into his form and, and be yours again. Hmm. And there's different versions. Like a lot of them say that the person has to be pregnant who ganks them off the horse. Hmm. Um, pregnant by Tamlin? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> like his That's own blood. very complicated. Like, yeah, like his own blood <laughs> claiming him back kind of yeah. a thing. But yeah, I just, I've never heard this version before and I really enjoyed it. Well, that makes sense, but it switches, it, tend to, it switches it around. Yeah, it totally changes the gender roles. Yeah. This is different in that um, the man... Uh, the beekeeper happens upon a hare and there's a witch who keeps trying to buy the hare from him. And he is very astute and is like, I am not selling this hare. Like, sketchy old lady. Like he, yeah, he realizes (laughs) that he needs to keep a hold of this hare. 
Um, and then he meets a Tinker family. Mm-hmm. And he does them a kind turn by returning some grain that they dropped. And um, he he tells them that, that that happened to the girl, like that that's a witch. And that um, on Al Hallow's Eve, she is going to need to be like held in the same way. Mm-hmm. Until, and she's going to turn into different things. And you just have to hang on to her. I can't believe that I didn't know that there was a legend where hugging <laughs> is, is like saves the day. I know. <laughs> like, Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Love it's conquers like, all. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's it, that's very constrictive, but it's also <laughs> very beautiful. Um, In a metaphorical way, it makes sense. Like you hold the person you love tight, even though they may change into different things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I mean, usually, I mean, in the stories, it's like a goose and a snake and fire and all kinds of things. But <laughs> So my absolute favorite story in this is The Last Who Went Out at the Cry of Dawn. And it's about sisters. It's about two sisters. The older sister went out, um, as it says, in the dawn to wash her face in the morning dew to make it bonnier. And she never came home again. And so her sister, her younger sister, decides that she's going to go. She's going to strike out into the world to find her older sister. Um, and she, her mom gives her some yarn and a golden needle and pins and a thimble and a knife and a towel, and she's on her way. Um, and she ends up having to craft things. She ends up having to outwit a wizard. Um, and she, she rescues her sister who's been turned ultimately into a statue in the court of the wizard. Um, so I, I loved that ingen- the ingenuity shown by the younger sister, and um, this one felt the most kind of fairy or like fairy tale heavy to me. Well, it's like so um, the like younger son going out to like make his fortune kind of a story. Mm-hmm. But I do that. I mean, I know you're talking about how this is like a female heavy book, but it's so great to me to see all these sort of gender switched roles, but they're all totally authentic. Mm-hmm. Like I love it. Yeah. And like we said before, there are some portrayals of women that are upset. I'm like not upsetting, but they're just kind of like, really, you know, really, yeah, not great. Um, it's the '60s, like stereotypes. Yeah. And- um, but it is. I, I think probably having all of these stories so focused on women, with a, a couple of exceptions, mm-hmm. um, because we haven't talked about that, which is the Drowned Bells of the Abbey and uh, Michael Scott and the Demon. Those are all very man heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of out of ten you know, folk tales. The protagonists and tend to the be, main characters tend to be women. Like mm-hmm. even, and the villains too, like they're all witches. It's not like a scary dude. Yeah. But it's just interesting to me that like a book like that can, I feel like a book like this should be, um, not as overlooked as it currently is. Yeah. Like it just seems like it, it deserves a little more attention than it's currently getting. Well, I mean, it's been, it's how old now? I mean, it's 60 years old. Is it 60 years old? Yeah. I mean, how many books? I mean, there's the Ramona books. There are maybe the Moffats. Yeah. Popper's Pen. I mean, you know, keeping, like, these books, the, the books that make it onto these big lists, this is one of the ways that they gain longevity. But, of course, if people don't keep picking them up and telling them, telling kids about them, they just... No one knows about them. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, another one that I like is called The Stolen Barn and the Side. And the side are um, 
are people who are very closed into themselves um, and they're very mercurial fairies. Um, so she ends up having to kind of do the um, feats of strength to get back her child. And again, she has to do things like she ends up making some wings. Um, she ends up making a cape. Um, she sneaks into the Sidian um, enclave. So a lot of bravery, a lot of craftiness. And actually another story, the very first story in the collection, The Laird's Lass and the Goba's Son, I like because it has a very headstrong girl who gets her way, but also like she gets herself into trouble along the way. So mm -hmm. it's it's not like a big, like, let's just praise the women situation either. Well, at the same time, like, I mean, her ultimate goal is, and she freaks out. I mean, she freaks out, and then she, like... She, gets turned into a dog. She gets turned into a dog, which I greatly enjoyed. I love I the treatment of that. When she, um, when she wakes up in bed, and she's a dog. She wakes up in bed, she's a dog. And then you... you Basically, her mom comes in to her room, sees that there's no one there, is like, oh, our daughter's gone. The Laird comes in, and then is just like, oh, there's a wee little white dog on my child's pillow. And then they just... They realize that the dog is wearing the blue silk nightgown that, that their daughter had been wearing and that there was a blue satin ribbon in the dog's hair. And so, so the Laird's just like, nonsense. She didn't, not a dog. But then he looked at her eyes and he's like, that's my daughter. <laughs> like, well, it says that like she patted his cheek and laughed in the same way that the person does, which sounds, one, super creepy. Yeah. But two, like, poor dude. And then he was like, oh, my daughter's a dog. Yeah. Um. So there were a lot of surprises in this collection to me. Like it, a lot of the stories didn't necessarily end in the way that I thought they would. Um, or they, and, and then like the journeys were very different from one of stories that I had heard before. So I really enjoyed reading them because of that. Um, even when I had qualms with maybe some of the treatment of some of the women characters and by treatment, I mean, not necessarily what's done to them in the story, but how they're portrayed yeah how they're um, it's kind of weak or kind of soft and um so i would say 50 50 like there's some good well-drawn characters well you know filled out characters women characters but the other 50 percent yeah So now we have the read-alikes, and I, I would say read-alikes, I, I would not say read-betters for this because I did quite enjoy it, and mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of, of kids and adults that maybe had never even heard of this that would enjoy reading this, particularly yeah. as the weather's getting a little bit colder here, um, and you want something kind of cozy. Well, and I have to say that just the book as a whole reads very well, like it's a good length. The stories are reasonable. Like if you're reading them with kids, I think it's a really good like story length. Mm -hmm. And as a collection, it makes sense. Um, and the language is just amazing. Like a lot of it, I tend to read really quickly. And if I'm reading a normal story, I don't even think about it. But with this, the language was such that I wanted to sort of like slow down and sort of imagine what it sounded like. Mm -hmm. It was like, I don't know if you just randomly enjoy accents. It's like watching Brave, like how everybody, you're just like, oh, that's so great. It's just like fun to listen to. And it reads the same way. But if you read this to a child um, and you're reading an actual book copy, be ready to explain the, um, the mermaid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Among a few other of the illustrations. Well, and concepts. Yeah. Um, so what are your read-alikes? 
Well, so first of all, her other books, if you like this book, she's got many other collections of folktales. She's also got picture books, but they're all sort of in the same vein, which is great. Um, and then one of my books that I just love, it's sort of a guilty pleasure. Um, it's called Tam Lynn. It's by Pamela Dean. Um, I grew up loving fairy tales. Like I will read any and every fairy tale like Pamela Dean and Jane Yolen and so many, so many others who I just love. But um, Pamela Dean's book, Tamlin, is a modern retelling of the Tamlin folktale or folk ballad. And it's set in the 60s in a, a small liberal arts college that actually exists. I have friends who went there and say that the, uh, the descriptions of the buildings and everything are just perfect which has nothing to do with the, the book itself, really. But it's basically a girl whose dad is a professor at the college that she chooses to go to. And when she goes there, there is a whole amazing choice of departments. So she's going to major in English, but there's classics and drama and all this other stuff. And everybody in the classics department is weird, just freaking weird, but also really appealing in like a you're just like too beautiful to exist kind of way. But when you're in college, you just put that down to hormones, <laughs> which is certainly part of it. But it turns out that it's very literally the fairy queen having kidnapped people. And then you have to surface at some point and do something. So they just go to college and they've done this kind of thing over and over again in different places. But she actually finds their names in like an Elizabethan cast list. And she has to do the whole Tamlin thing where one of them actually gets her pregnant and she has to go drag him off an actual horse on All Hallows, on All Hallows Eve and, and keep him. But that's the only way to save his life. Oh, wow. But it's really cool because you read most of the book and it's not a short book. Thinking that is just a story about someone going to college. And it's only at the end that you realize that the supernatural things are true and real and it's really cool and there's a ghost oh wow and it's just great it's just and it, the way it's written is just so good and it has every possible in joke for someone who likes english literature or greek literature or fairy <laughs> tales ever it's just full of them cool so i love that book and it reminded me of the beekeeper story and then just as far as the style of storytelling, if you read this book and you just like the way that it reads, there is a set of books, and I don't even know when it was originally published because the set I had as a kid, my dad gave me and his dad gave him, so they're pretty old. But it's just called The Bookshelf for Boys and Girls. I can't even tell you an author because it's by like various authors. Um, but a couple of them just have folk tales from around the world, and the way that they're told is very, very similar to this. Very cool. Um, so my read-alikes are, um, I have two of them, The Illustrated Treasury of Scottish Folk and Fairy Tales by Teresa Breslin, and it's illustrated by Kate Lepper. These are modern retellings of various Scottish folk tales. I think they're not as captivating as, as Thistle in Time, um, because I do think that that author has a special spell that she weaves. But if you're interested in Scottish folk tales and you want to know more of them, this is a beautiful volume with gorgeous illustrations. Um, and there's a little less usage of kind of Scottish words. So if you are reading it to a child, I think it'll be a little bit easier to read. And then the other, the other book is called the tea dragon society. And it's a graphic novel that was published, I believe last year in, in 2017 by Katie O'Neill. She's from Oceana. Um, so it's not set in Scotland, 
But this, the book reminded me of one of the Thistle and Time stories, not necessarily in content, but with themes and the idea of magic being in the air and, and humans being aware of it and having to live around it. Um, so we are introduced to these uh, creatures called tea dragons and they grow tea leaves off of their ears. Um, and there's different tea dragons. So there's like a chamomile tea dragon and like a mint and, um, and they're, they're gorgeous. But the, the story itself is about a, a young child who um, becomes a keeper of a tea dragon. Um, and you learn about the history of these dragons. Um, you learn about a society that used to be in place um, which was called the Tea Dragon Society that has had lapsed, and um, <laughs> the main character ends up becoming really good friends with several new people, and it's just kind of a gentle coming of age story as well as being fantastical. Um, so I, I recommend both of those very much. Um, we're drinking a strawberry scotch cocktail. That's what it's called, the Strawberry Scotch talk Cocktail. Um, and uh, Mercy, what do you think about the cocktail? <laughs> um, I, I don't like it. <laughs> At first taste, it's tasted, it tastes kind of like cotton candy to me. And then there's an aftertaste that's not pleasant. Which is so funny because to me it doesn't taste particularly sweet. Like it, does, it definitely doesn't taste like cotton candy to me. I'm getting just like a real strong kind of, I had to ask if, if scotch was made of peat, like I know something's made of peat, because it kind of tastes like dirt to me, I know that sounds weird, but it just. Scotch is made of bog mummies. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the aftertaste is, it's the bog mummy. Then I should like it, I love Halloween. I love spooky things. You don't like ingesting. No, probably them. not. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I love I love a lot of the ingredients like lemon juice and thyme muddled together and usually fruit and simple syrup. I like that kind of thing, but this just does not taste good. I think I just don't like scotch. I, I I'm think, not usually a scotch drinker. Yeah, I, I like whiskey. I think scotch, I just don't, even though I am actually Scottish, I think that it's it's just not something that I grew up with or when I was of drinking age, like started drinking. Um, so I just, I think it's, it's just not my, my thing, but this is not refreshing or, um, delightful in any way, really. Yeah. Even though a lot of the ingredients are, it does, it just feels sticky. And then there's that weird kind of undertaste of, something might be dead in your mouth. <laughs> Lovely. Maybe like something dead was stewed in the scotch barrel. Which, and also I don't like how inappropriate it is for the book because it sounds like it should be perfect for the book. I mean, it's a, not to sound denigrating to the book because I love the book, but like a little bit girly, like most of these stories are sort of girl based. And this is like a pink fruity drink, but also scotch and Scottish. Um, but it's just not great. And the book is fantastic. Yeah. So don't drink it. <laughs> I mean, we're going to put the recipe in the show notes, but don't drink it. So Unless yeah. you really like to punish yourselves. Or if you just, I don't know. It's not even that it's like horrifyingly disgusting. It's just mediocre. Yeah. And I think even if you're a big scotch drinker, you're not going to 
I don't think you're going to be into this. No, I don't think you're going to want muddled strawberries in it. Yeah. It's just, this one's a fail. This one's a big fail. Womp womp. Thank you for listening to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Next episode, we'll be discussing Men of Athens by Olivia Coolidge, illustrated by Milton Johnson. Please rate and review us on iTunes and wherever else you're able. We'll see you next time. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.